Well, this morning we're going to carry on in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, so you can go there. We're talking about prayer. Prayer often feels difficult. We think we'll have to speak with many words or special words. We worry about how we sound to others when we pray in a group. We worry that what we're praying for is selfish or immature. And yet what's so beautiful and good about what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer is that he's saying, look, you don't have to complicate it. You don't have to worry about how you sound to others because you're not talking to them. You don't have to worry about getting the Father's attention because he's a good Father. You already have his attention. When you pray, pray like this, he says. And he goes on to give us six petitions, these themes. You can pray them specifically, but there's so much that you can be drawn into as you pray through these six things. And over the past month, we've looked at the first three of them. And today, we're going to look at the fourth petition. And what I want us to do is read through all of them. And today, hopefully, the slides work, and you can actually see it. I didn't realize this last week, but when all of you uh, said it out loud with me, you did it by memory. There was actually nothing behind me. I didn't realize until like the end. <laughs> so with those nine points, I felt really bad about. Anyways, this is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Would you read with me? This is what Jesus says. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent us your son Jesus, and he makes you known to us. And we ask this morning that you would teach us about how you love to provide, that you are a provider and we can trust you. And all the different maybe worries or lies we've uh, believed, um, even idols, Lord, as we hear this truth that you are a provider, we ask that you would help us to put those things down and embrace the word that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The fourth petition that we're going to look at today is, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And the question I want to ask is, what are we asking God for when we pray this? It's not really how we normally talk. Uh, give us today our daily bread. And over uh, history, the church has discovered the rich and layered meaning of this petition, of praying our daily bread. And what I want to do is just highlight three of these things. And so the first one is this. When we pray, give us our daily bread, we are asking God for real physical bread. Real physical bread. Now, this concept might be foreign to us um, because we've lived in a land of abundance where we just go to a grocery store and get bread. And you can pick whatever bread you like. If you don't like the whole wheat bread because you think it tastes gross, you get the white bread, right? If you don't like that bread and you like the sweet buns, you can go for that too. Like, we have so many different options. But to Jesus' initial audience, his first followers, this was huge. They weren't wealthy. They didn't have pantries full of food. They didn't have refrigerators. They couldn't make Costco runs, and no judgment. We do the Costco runs too, but they just couldn't do those things. This reality that we live in is totally different than what the first audience that heard this would be living through. And as a result, it can be really 
easy to feel kind of removed from this petition. Give us our daily bread. But this is a real, real thing for a lot of people in the world. The number of people worldwide who are suffering from chronic hunger sits at 811 million people. To give you like kind of proportions, that's about 10% of the world's population going to sleep hungry. The hunger we're talking about isn't simply just being hungry though. We're talking about people spending whole days with nothing to eat because they don't have money or resources to access food. The UN, which uh, works towards uh, addressing this issue, defines world hunger as periods when populations are facing severe food insecurity. Most of these people are living in conflicts of re uh, in regions of conflict. This is one of the greatest drivers of hunger in our world is conflict. The UN issued a global report this year on the food crisis, and they identified a number of countries, the Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, Yemen, Nigeria, Syria, Sudan, South Sudan, Pakistan, and Haiti as countries with the highest number of people living in, in crisis. Over the last three years, the Democratic Republic of Congo went from 13 million people severely hungry to 27 million in 2022. All of this is to say that hunger is real. It's, re it's, it's a real thing that people are living with today, not just in the first century. And so when we pray our Father in heaven, we're not simply praying, give me my daily bread. That's not what Jesus teaches us to do. He says, give us our daily bread. We really mean us. We're not simply praying for ourselves. We're asking our Father to provide for the whole family of God, for all of those who lack food. We're praying for our daily bread. When we pray this, this is a reminder that the kingdom of God has not come in its fullness yet. That there are people still living in injustice, that there's still a great amount of inequality. Some places in the world have and are satisfied, and other parts of the world do not have and are not. They are hungry. And the grand majority of us in here will land in this second group. We do have. And yet we know that the will of God, our Father, is to bless us so that we might actually bless others. And so inevitably, it will lead us to pray, our Father in heaven, we see what's going on in the world. We see the hunger. We hear of what's going on, and I'm not okay with it. And I know you aren't either. Please show us what to do. Provide bread and food for every hungry person in our world. And I recognize that in one sense you might be like, well, that seems like a lot. Like, how, how does that work? But think with me of all the moments when we look in Scripture where God provides the physical, material, like bread, real bread. When Israel was rescued out of slavery and brought into the wilderness, God provided for them. Exodus 15 and 16 recount this. They don't have food or water, and what does God do? God provides a way to make bitter water drinkable, dr clean and, dr and drinkable water. When it, then Israel grumbles about food and not having food, and the way they complain is almost comical. It's probably supposed to be. They say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt when we were slaves. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, talking to Moses, have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. 
Like talk about, you know, when you're like famished, you're hungry, and you're irritable, and you don't see things straight. This is them. But what does God do? God actually rains down bread from heaven, manna. Each day, Israel was to gather just enough for that day. And when they tried to collect more, the stuff would rot. It would stink. They had just enough for that day. Constantly, they were experiencing God's provision. We're told later on that their clothes did not wear out in that time in the wilderness. Jesus comes and he starts his ministry, and one of his most famous stories is of him ministering and teaching to people for several hours at a time, and thousands would gather. And in one of these stories, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, you've been teaching for a long time. The people are going to get hungry. We don't have anything to give them, so you should send them away so they could go get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. And they're like, with what? And Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they're like, we have two fish, five loaves. And he says, bring it here. And then he gives thanks and proceeds to feed 5,000 people. Everyone ate, we're told. Not one stomach was grumbling with hunger. And another time, a few chapters later, a couple chapters later, we see the same thing in Matthew 15. There's 4,000 people that are fed. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Again, what do you have, he asks. Seven loaves, a few, uh, a few small fish. Jesus says, give it here. He gives thanks, and then he gives it to his disciples to distribute it. And everyone ate, and everyone was satisfied. And so one of the things that we need to think through and remember that is, is that if God led Israel through the wilderness, and in Jesus fed 5,000 and 4,000 people, why wouldn't he want us to pray for the hundreds of millions of people who are hungry in our world, asking that God would provide our daily bread. Our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. The second thing we are asking when we pray, give us our daily bread, is for the everyday necessities of life. Frederick Bruner will say, bread costs money, money requires work, work requires good government, good, good business, and good labor. And so, give us our daily bread covers all of these things. We're praying for all the things that are needed for our physical well-being. When we pray for this bread, we're praying for all those things that are necessary for the preservation of life. We're praying for food, yes, for a healthy body, for work, for good weather, for a home, for good government, and that God would preserve us from sickness, from war, conflict, and calamities. We're praying that the weather system, we're not just praying like nice weather because we want it to be nice, but we're praying that the weather system would enable food and crops to grow for the energy and the capacity for farmers to cultivate and then harvest that food and then that those who transport it would be able to bring it to grocery stores and that there would be grocery store workers able to actually help distribute and sell and do all the different things that need to happen. It's a prayer for God to oversee the whole process of provision from seed in the soil to it being cooked and plated in your home. And so there's this prayer here for God to care, to provide for all these things when we ask God for our daily bread. And there's also a humility here. Notice we're not asking for surplus. Give us our daily bread. Not 
give us a ton. Just give us our daily bread for what we need. We're not asking for riches. We're not asking for affluence. We're not asking for excessive wealth. Just enough for that day. The ancients recognized how easily excessive wealth and extreme poverty could uh, corrupt. And Proverbs 30 captures this, this sentiment well, where the, uh, the writer says, give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Our Father in heaven, don't give me more than I need. Simply provide all the necessities of our life. And the third thing we're asking when we pray, give us our daily bread, is all that is needed to live the Jesus way, to live the way of Jesus, which is the life God intended for us. The way of Jesus is life with him, practicing what he taught and lived out. The way of Jesus is life in the kingdom of God. The way of Jesus is a life of trust and obedience to him. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. We need bread for life, but we also need courage, strength, wisdom, love, faith. We need hope to trust and follow Jesus. And this isn't possible apart from the Spirit of God. Bread matters, but bread alone is not enough. The Word of God, Jesus, sustains Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you in John 6, they are full of spirit and of life. We need the Spirit's divine empowerment. And so we're asking for the Spirit's power to follow Jesus, to be able to live the life he intends for us. Father in heaven, give us courage, give us strength, hope, love, and wisdom, and power by your Spirit to practice and live out the way of Jesus. And if you're curious about that, look at the Gospels and even look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going through, to see the type of life that he wants for his people. We cannot do that on our own. What he calls us to is beyond ourselves, but it is possible when the Spirit of God begins to make its home, his home in us. And here's why I think this prayer, this petition is so important. It's because our Father cares about your individual and the world's needs. We need to be reminded of that. As we worry about, oh, does he care? Should I even pray about these things? He does. Our human concerns are not unimportant to God. They're never peripheral. Notice that when he, Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, he gives equal attention to the needs of humans. If you think about it, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's those few, three things. And then we hear these other things. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Your kingdom, your will, your name, our bread, our forgiveness. Lead us away from temptation. There's this attention that he gives to our needs. And it's not selfish then to pray for the physical, social, and personal needs you and other people have. Jesus wants you to pray for these issues, to bring them before the Father. In fact, he commands you, when you pray, pray like this. His concern isn't just for the things of God, for the spiritual, but also for the physical, because we're physical beings, and we, he cares about those things. He created it. And his concern is for things like food, for our needs, relationships, for the kind of people we are becoming. 
And you can actually see that Jesus is doing this and trying to teach us this through the way that the Sermon on the Mount is structured. Because right before he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, he says, do not be like them. He's speaking about pagans who think they need to talk, get God's attention by speaking with many words. For he says, your father knows what you need before he asks, before you ask him. Then he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. Following the Lord's Prayer, Jesus will say, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So before the Lord's Prayer and after, your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father cares about your needs, the world's needs, and so bring them to him. These are the kinds of prayer that the Father loves to answer. And so part of what Jesus wants to do here is to set us free. To set us free from worrying about the future, about worrying about provision. Right before this passage I had just read, of don't be anxious, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, Jesus has also confronted consumerism, materialism, and the love of money on one hand, but also this worrying about tomorrow, which looks like storing up your stuff, storing up your food and kind of burying your treasures and keeping those things. He wants to set us free from all of that. Don't worry about what you'll need for tomorrow. Prioritize my Father's kingdom and, and living rightly related to him, to others, to the world, and he'll take care of that stuff. Part of like learning this prayer, this petition that Jesus gives us is learning to live in the freedom he has that God loves to provide for his children and he wants to. And that when you bring him these petitions, he hears you, he cares. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust that your father can take care of what you need for that day. So when you pray like this, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal your majesty, your glory, your power to save on earth. Rule on earth like you do in heaven, undoing the effects of evil, sin, and death, restoring your amazing creation. Do your good, perfect, and pleasing will here among us and give us our daily bread. Bread for the hungry. Provide all that sustains us and enable us to follow your Son, Jesus. When you and I begin to pray this authentically, it begins to change the way we live. And it shows up in four ways. When you begin to pray this authentically, it will lead you to live a life wholly or radically dependent on God's provision. Notice it's not give us for tomorrow, for the next month, supply all that. If we have that, that's not wrong. But that's not what Jesus teaches us to pray. Jesus teaches us, give us our daily bread. Give us enough for today, just for this day. When you genuinely pray this, you begin to, you enter into this experience of what God's people experience in the wilderness, where God provided for them each day at a time. The manna that they tried to collect for the next few days would go bad before they could even get to it. It'd stink. There'd be maggots in it. But when you begin to genuinely pray this, you become a person who lives to see God provide every day. You actually anticipate his provision. And it's like God constantly wants us to live in this place 
where we experience his provision, where we're looking for it and we see him show up. We, we experience his goodness. And in that place of dependence, he doesn't want it to actually be where we're focused so much on the thing coming to us, but actually on him. Because we just learn to just trust him. Our kids, kids are not hanging out with us, our children that is, because they just know that we're going to give them something. They want to be with us, at least when they're little. Maybe when they're older, they're more independent. But right now, they want your attention. And they just, they don't worry about when that thing is coming next, when that meal is coming next. They know that their mom, their dad cares, and they'll take care of them, that they're going to have what they need. They're, they care about that relationship with their parent, though. And this is the type of dynamic that Jesus wants all of his disciples to experience with their Heavenly Father. Dallas Willard puts it like this, Today I have God, he has the provisions. Tomorrow will be the same. So I simply ask today for what I need for today. Israel lived this. They had to learn this in the wilderness. God did not give Israel, as they're going through the wilderness, a map. Here's a map. Get to the promised land, you'll figure it out, okay? Just make sure you read it properly and you'll be all good. That's not what God does. He gave them himself. God knew the way through it. No map, because he's the guide. You don't need the map. You need him. You have God, he has what you need. The gospel is that you get God because of Jesus, that God gives you himself, that he has come to you in Christ, and now you have access to God the Father, who is the creator and king, and through him, you get access to all of the resources of the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to live in your own power, on your own resources, in your own understanding, or your own will, but on his power, by his understanding, for his will. In Matthew 17, you get this picture of how God provides, and he provides in ways that you would never imagine. But you can ultimately trust him. Matthew 17, Peter gets confronted by someone asking, hey, how come Jesus, does Jesus think he doesn't have to pay for taxes? Does he not have to pay the temple tax? And Peter's kind of, I would assume he would have been a little bit awkward and unsure and says, yeah, he does pay. And then he comes back to Jesus. And Jesus already knows what happens. And he asks him a question about whether the children of kings have to pay a tax. And Peter knows that, well, no, they don't have to. They're excused from that in the kingdom. And Jesus is insinuating that I don't have to either. But then he says this to Peter, go to the lake, throw out a line, because Peter was a fisherman, and take the first fish you catch. Open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. This does not make sense. Why is there a coin in a fish's mouth? How is that supposed to make sense? But Peter does what Jesus tells him to do. And one of the things that we learn as disciples of Jesus is that he has access to resources we cannot even imagine. That he can bring something out of nothing. That he can feed 5,000 and then 4,000 with a few loaves of bread and fish. We get God. He has the provision. And when we begin to authentically pray this, we begin to live into this new reality where we don't have to worry about how those things will get figured out. We can trust him. It's your father's goodwill 
to give you the kingdom. Second thing that begins to happen when you authentically pray this is that it leads you to give thanks for the way he has already provided. Every time you and I eat food, and think with me of all the wonderful food that we get to eat, pizza, you know, great rice, sushi, pho, pancit, tacos, bannock, pork buns, curry rangdang. Some of you are already thinking right now, oh man, lunch. Thank you, Everett. But I also hope that some of you are getting ideas for that potluck in a couple of weeks, okay? For the types of food that are welcome. And so all of these things that you and I experience, foods that we love, and maybe even some foods that we don't love, but we eat because we, we don't want to waste it. When we eat these things, in our, when we hold them in our hands, we need to recognize they're an answer to prayer. They are an answer to that prayer. Give us our daily bread. Even if you didn't pray that, someone else did. Maybe you're just so hungry, like you're like my kids, you just come to the table and they just start shoving it in their mouth and you're trying to run, hey guys, come on, like let's give thanks. Someone else did pray, give us our daily bread. And it wasn't just for the individual, it was for all of the Lord's people. And so there's this, Thankfulness. It's a, it's a, there's this recognition that every time the crops were harvested, there's an answer to prayer. Every time you walk into a grocery store and there's food there, there's an answer to prayer. He's heard that request and answered. And the same applies to Jesus, that every time we hear his name proclaimed, that we're reminded of him, that we're brought back to him, we can give thanks. That Jesus is the source, the sustainer of all life. He holds all things in creation together. And apart from him, we can't live. So we give thanks that our Father so loved us, that he so loved the world, that he couldn't help himself but give us his beloved Son, Jesus. So Father, we thank you for your provision, your constant and steadfast provision, your faithfulness. The third thing that happens when you begin to authentically pray this is that it will grow a concern in you for those in need. There's a tension as you give thanks for how he provides, you also recognize, but there are others who lack, who are hungry, who don't know him. And you can't ignore that. When you genuinely pray this, you just can't ignore it. You're troubled by it, this tension within your heart. And this can show up in a few ways, but one of the things that it'll lead you to do is to pray that for others. To pray that for others in the world, and not just for the family of God, because you may start there, but once you begin to pray for God's people in need, you can't help but want to pray for all the other people who in the world who are hungry. You want to see others' needs met. And so you pray, lifting up those nations and people, families you know. Father in heaven, we bring all those people who are hungry and in need to you in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Syria, in the Philippines, in Mexico, in Colombia, in Afghanistan, in Ethiopia, in our country. Provide for the people's needs physically, for food, for safety, for peace, for order, and for your son Jesus to be made known. And the fourth thing that happens when you begin to authentically pray this is that you, it leads you to give your time your treasure, your talent. 
because you know that he can provide for you. You've experienced that yourself. It's not always just the money. So that's why I don't want to highlight just money. It's more than that. In Acts 2, Peter and John are walking to the temple in Jerusalem. They have been filled with the Spirit. Jesus is risen. They're still poor, though. Nothing about their economic state has changed. But one of the things that has changed is the way that they're looking at the world and those who live in it. And so Peter notices that there's a man who's unable to walk, who's sitting begging for money at the temple gates. And Peter says to him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give it to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and stand. And in that moment, that man actually gets up and stands. Jesus, Peter didn't have money. He offered what he had. He recognized that he did have the good news of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that will happen in us is we begin to have this thankfulness, this living in dependence on him, this concern for others, but we also start to look at ways that we can actually be part of helping provide for others. Because we've experienced God provide for us, so we're not going to hold these things tightly. We don't want to do that. And one person who has lived in this way for a number of years and has really um, been this great model for me is, is this man named Tomas Bencomo. He's a pastor in Mexico, and the current president of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Mexico. And I, uh, I've been involved in a number of ministries that he's been doing in, in northern Mexico with this indigenous group called, the, they call themselves the Baramuri. About 20 years ago, he heard a story in the news about how many uh, Raramuri people were starving and freezing to death in the Copper Canyon. The region in which they lived in Mexico used to be much greater prior to Spanish coming to uh, Mexico. But that region had shrunk, in part because the Spanish tried to enslave them. It's been a classic experience for many indigenous people. And so there was this deep distrust that many Raramuri had over outsiders. They didn't trust them. Over the years, though, they've been displaced again and again as a result of logging, drug violence through the cartels, and mining. And now much of the land that they live in isn't very good for farming. It's not very, um, it's not great for any of that. And so when Tomas heard this, he was grieved hearing what was going on. He'd never been there, though. He didn't know any Naramuri himself. And so his story actually is really a story of ongoing prayer in the same direction, asking for the Lord to provide bread. And it started with him praying, Lord, if there's a way I can help these people, please let me. And he thought about it and even tried to weigh options, and he tried to figure out how much it might cost to get down to that region. Uh, he's in northern Mexico in Juarez. It's a border town right next to El Paso. The Copper Canyon is a minimum like nine hours, if not 12 hours away, and then more if you go off into the more remote areas. And at a certain point, you can't even go off-roading. You're just hiking. His prayer was, Lord, if there's a way, Father, if there's a way I can help them, I, I want to try to find a way. So he figured out how, how he might be able to get to a certain region from Juarez driving. And he made it there once. And he wasn't really well received. There wasn't a lot of trust. They kind of rejected him. Uh, so he, what he brought, he left in a box and then left. 
they brought some food and some different resources like that, um, but he didn't get a chance to talk to any of them because they didn't trust him. But from that experience, he began to pray, Father, I'd like to tr make another trip to bring some food to see them, but I don't have the funds. I don't have the funds to be able to do this, and I don't even have really have the right kind of vehicle to be able to get there because the terrain was so difficult that it was, his car wasn't great for that. So he managed to um, go there and see what was happening and start trying to build some relationship, but it, it would take time. So his next prayer was, Lord, I'd like to return on a monthly basis. But I don't have the funds to be able to do that. So father, the father provided funds for it, sometimes from people he'd never met. In fact, at one point, he was receiving support from Paul Mitchell. Uh, I think it's like a hairstyling company. They donate to a lot of different organizations. And uh, somehow, he never met the guy, but he, he got some support to help the Radamuri. Over and over again, Tomas began to, would experience the Father's provision for what was needed. Healthcare professionals uh, would be brought in at times, building supplies would be brought in, food, clothing, even teachers eventually. An answer to prayer was a cause for thanksgiving, but it also spurred him on. Now throughout this time, Tomas and his team would uh, preach to those who would listen and disciple those who wanted to be discipled and train up leaders. And they would seek to plant uh, churches and villages where they were invited. And he often explained his heart to uh, me or others who would join him for this region in the Copper Canyon, saying, if my son had been lost in this area, I wouldn't stop looking for him until I found him. That that's what his, the father's heart is for people. And so he'd keep coming back as long as the father made a way for him to be able to do that. Tomas started doing that a minimum like 20 years ago, if not earlier. He just turned 70 in September. He's still doing it. And the seeds that he's uh, planted, along with others, God has been bringing this beautiful growth in. One of the people who was impacted by this ministry is named Julio. I just heard about him this month. He is Varamudi himself, and he's a pastor. And he's a pastor who was walking from this village called Wakaivo to this other uh, village called Guajachica to share Jesus with others. This hike that he would do took approximately three hours, and he does it weekly while also carrying 50 pounds of beans on his back to distribute to those living there. There's no, you can't drive to these places that Julio's going to. And Julio had been dreaming of planting a, a church in this place, Guajachica. And by faith this month, I was able to find out by faith and through God's provision that this new church came to fruition under Julio's efforts. But it started with prayer more than 20 years ago. A recognition that God provides, a dependence on him, this thankfulness for how God provides, but also this growing concern that would bubble up and spread to others, saying, use me, use my talents, my treasure, my time. See, when you begin to authentically pray this, it changes the way you live, and it leads you down paths you wouldn't expect. Paths you don't feel fully qualified for, prepared for, paths where you'll make mistakes, but paths where you experience the faithfulness and provision of God. 
And that same heart that God cultivated in Tomas has been cultivated in Julio, and it's being cultivated in you. It's a heart of generosity that surrenders time, talents, and treasures because God has for you. And so there's an invitation for us. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. Us, Lord, today what is needed. Those who are hungry in the world, would you provide? Supply all that is needed for life. All that is needed so that we can follow your son, Jesus, we pray. Use us our time, our talents, our treasures, Lord, so that we could be part of that in other people's lives, Lord. For your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion. There should be as well cups.